0: Oh, Canada, a vast, idyllic land filled with beavers, loons, lumberjacks, and polite, friendly folks. We have those things for sure, but there's a darker side to the great white north, full of mystery, crime, the paranormal, and dark history. Join me, Mike Brown, and co-host Matthew Stockton every Monday for the Dark Poutine podcast as we tell dark stories from north of the 49th parallel, with the Ottawa Game covering more international cases. You can listen to Dark Poutine for free wherever you find your favorite podcasts.
1: Kickoff for Super Bowl 34. The Titans Rams 2000 Super Bowl, an instant classic. By nice, and can he get it? Hours after the game, two men were stabbed in the street, accused of being in the middle, the greatest linebacker in NFL history.
2: Ray Lewis and two friends are charged with murder.
1: The nation's eyes were glued to their televisions. The trial concluded, and the verdicts came back not guilty
2: what you can learn
1: from all this is that big cases make for big mistakes. Look what happened in O.J. Simpson, and look what happened in Ray Lewis. Lewis went on to have a Hall of Fame career, but questions around that night in Atlanta still remain. So what do you think they're hiding? They know what happened. They know exactly what happened. After 20 years, it's time to get to the bottom line truth. From Tenderfoot TV, I'm Tim Livingston, and this is The Raven. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For ad-free listening and early access, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus on tenderfootplus.com.
0: Crawl space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Empty Frames Studios. What's up, Lance?
3: Not too much. How are you doing today? Doing great.
0: Uh, very excited to bring this interview to our listeners. Of course, uh, we have Doreen Quinn-Giuliano back on these airwaves. The return of
3: uh, Mother Justice.
0: That's right. This is John Juca's mom. John Juca was wrongfully convicted of felony murder in 2005, and you can't hide the truth, can you, Lance?
3: Well, you know when we have Doreen on, it's not something that is just a casual conversation. We have her on for a reason, and this one's uh, this one's a big one, I think, right?
0: Well, the update is very big, and uh, it does seem like we're getting to the point where these prosecutors, like, all their lies are coming to the surface, and John is going to be free soon. I believe that to be the case.
3: I can't figure out how he's not free yet, and we even posed this to Doreen. How is this possible? How is it possible that more and more information keeps literally being dug up this what we talk about today is a tape that was essentially buried by the prosecution by anna siga yeah
0: and not turned over to the defense which is what is supposed to happen in a murder trial you're supposed to turn over each other's uh evidence and things like that and so this wasn't turned over and after we recorded this interview, there was a new article posted uh, by the New York Post, and it is about a letter of recommendation that Prosecutor Anna Sig- Nigalazzi wrote for Albert Cleary, one of the people who testified against John. And to date, he's the only one out of four who testified against John Juca, who has not recanted that testimony.
3: It's crazy. This article is a titled, Grid Kid Murder Suspects Lawyers Claim Prosecutors Framed Him. It's written by Emily Saul, and it's a June 18th of this year. So, you know, this is a less than a week after the tapes were uncovered and that article came out. So... This is all very positive information that is just not trickling out. It's, it's starting to come out on a weekly basis now, and it's not looking good for the prosecution.
0: Not at all, and I can't wait to see um, what happens with this trial. I mean, I, I can't even imagine they have a trial, but as of right now, it's still going to happen, so we will find out. So this is kind of a casual interview that uh, came about with Doreen based on this new information. Uh, she texted it to me and I said, can we, you know, can we have you on to talk about this real quick? So we we got it together for the next day and it's the third episode we've done on this case so please feel free to check out the other ones they were there was one i believe it was called John Juka 25 to life with Marley Davis that aired in december or january and then our episode called mother justice aired in may
3: and i just want to give a uh, reference point to uh mark bettero who Doreen mentions in this interview that's John's lawyer and he is rapidly becoming the Superman of, of John's case of freeing John. He's aggressively pursuing any means necessary to get John freed.
0: Okay. And this episode is brought to you commercial free by our other podcast, empty frames. We are wrapping up season one, Lance very soon. And we got some hard hitting episodes.
3: The last few episodes have been crazy. They've been uh, just a turning point. I think in my mind, when I think about, the subject matter, which is the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist, we're talking, now that's being disputed, $500 million worth of stolen uh, artwork, worth of stolen property. Our, our guest that's coming up disputes that and has a very thorough method in which to entice the thieves to return the art. Yes,
0: yeah, so if you haven't listened to Empty Frames yet, what are you doing?
3: And real quick, Tim, what are you doing this Sunday?
0: I am going to be at the Rockwell at 6 p.m. in Somerville, Massachusetts, watching our documentary, Finding More Murray.
3: Well, hopefully you're there a little early so we can do a test run of the documentary, Finding More Murray, which is going to be, like you said, at the Rockwell, Davis Square, Somerville. Doors are at 6 p.m. Uh, show starts at 6.30. We'll screen it. We'll do a little Q&A with the audience and have our cinematographer, Josh, On as well. He'll come up and uh, answer any questions that collectively uh, are given to us. And tickets are rapidly. Selling. So if you have not got your ticket yet for the show, it's $15. $5 of that goes towards the uh, GoFundMe account for more Murray, for anything that has to do with finding her or finding answers, ground penetrating radar, billboards, a reward, etc. And the show is brought to you by PI Magazine. They decided to sponsor it. They have a promo code MMM. So go on their website, enter the promo code MMM. You'll get $10 off your annual subscription to PI Magazine. That is a detectives resource magazine and they will also donate five dollars of the mmm promo code to the gofundme
0: okay so let's play this interview with doreen thank you very much for listening follow us on twitter at crawlspace pod we're on instagram and facebook as well How are you today, Dory? I'm doing
4: well. How are you guys doing?
0: Doing great. Thrilled to to see this new update in the case that you uh, sent to us a couple nights ago. Can you uh, tell us about it?
4: Yes, it's a newfound evidence uh, evidence of a tape recording of uh, a jailhouse informant who gave the prosecutors exculpatory evidence in my son's case is very, very damning to the district attorney because they hid that information from John and his attorney.
3: So these, the, you just said they hid the information before I get to my question. I just want to say welcome back and congratulations on this. This is uh this was reported by the daily beast by um, hella winston who's also written the uh the other article back in april about uh john and uh, it seems like she's been uh quite a proponent for him and following uh his story over over the past uh you know over, over the past but um getting back to you saying that they hit it is that something that's you hear like they buried it is that the same thing
4: uh yes um Anna Nicolazzi, the prosecutor on my son's case never disclosed it to the defense. John could have um used this information to um help his help prove his innocence. And she buried it. She never disclosed it. And she had 13 years to disclose it and she chose not to.
0: What is on it on the tape that's uh, damning to the prosecution against John
4: well it was a complete different theory than the theory that she put before the jury
3: so the theory that she put towards the jury that they heard was was not uh, in was not in conjunction with what is on the tape so she hears that Correct. in two thousand and five and that's something that she selects as not going to be part of the court trial
4: exactly but that wasn't her choice to make she's supposed to turn over everything she acted as the gatekeeper of favorable evidence yeah for john no matter what the evidence is whether it's damning or favorable you have an obligation to turn that all over And she chose not to. And she was even more deceptive by putting the jailhouse informant's name on the witness list to make it appear like she was on the up and up, when in fact she changed his name from Joseph to James. When the defense received the witness list, we've noticed that there was two jailhouse informants, one a John Avito and one a James Ingram. So of course, we frantically tried to research them and surmise on what they could possibly say. When we seen James Ingram's name on the witness list, we tried to find him and we couldn't. And that's because his name was deliberately, I believe, I believe, deliberately changed so we couldn't find him and question him and find out that he actually claims John's, well, I'll go back a little bit. He actually talks about Russo and Russo's confession and totally excludes John from any wrongdoing at all. And that we would have we would have used him she was making it appear like joseph ingram was a witness for the prosecution when in fact he would have been called by us if we would have known about him
0: right amazing
4: and and, and it, it's even more troubling lance and tim it's even more troubling because in the CRU we went to them for help and they claimed they were going to reinvestigate the whole case and our accusations of wrongdoing. So they even had this information, and they didn't turn it over. So there's 13 long years of hiding this information from John.
3: I want to go back quickly to just changing, simply changing the name to make it look like it's a uh, it's a witness for the prosecution the man on the tape who claims that john had no role in the crime had no role in murdering uh russo his name is no. jose
4: no no i'm sorry uh, you 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 missed oh, oh
3: no no i, I did misspeak. i'm so sorry yeah um uh let me start that again Fisher, Fisher. Fisher. I know, I was looking at the wrong name. (laughs) I knew it the second I said it. Sorry. I'll go back. (laughs) So I want to go back really quickly to talk about how the prosecutor can change someone's name to make it look like they are a witness for the prosecution. This man's name was Joseph Ingram. And in this tape, he says that John had no role in in uh, Mark Fisher's murder. And how is it that someone from the prosecution or anybody can make that mistake and say, put a name James? I mean, James and Joseph are not the same name. And was it was her explanation for this? They just simply wrote the wrong name like a typo.
4: I'm not sure of their explanation. I think they have to reply to our motion. But I can say this much. She put approximately 45 names on the witness list and spelled every one of them correctly, except for the one who was favorable to John.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that could go, that could go either way. Maybe she does that and she says, listen, I did every other name correctly. You know, this was, this was an honest mistake. It just seems, uh, it does seem a little. <laughs> sus- I know.
4: I'll argue with that. So why is it the one who was the most favorable for John was the one that she made the mistake. So I believe it was so that we couldn't find him. We we couldn't find him in Rikers Island. We couldn't find him. I mean, we Googled his name. We couldn't find him because the name was wrong. And in addition, everyone's birthday was on the list. His birthday was not uh, submitted. So we couldn't even look up his birthday.
0: Wow. Yeah. You know, and you
4: find people through their birthdays and maybe Jay Ingram. And...
0: Can she be disbarred for this?
4: Well, the problem that New York has is prosecutors have immunity. So they could pretty much do anything they want to a person. They could lie, they could fabricate evidence, they could do anything, and they are not held responsible they have what you call absolute immunity from prosecution.
3: Yeah, that comes as a huge surprise to us over here. You'd think that in the in the system, that is where the balances have to be kept. That's where the checks and balances should come into play when you're dealing with the prosecution and the defense of, of, of a potential criminal or a potential mm-hmm. innocent person. The people who judge that should ultimately be the should bear the responsibility of their decisions and not have absolute immunity. That blows my mind.
4: Yeah, no, there's no oversight. They are not held uh, accountable. They take lives all the time, and they say, oops, sorry, made a mistake.
0: Wow. So how did this new tape come out?
4: Well, they're taking John back to trial. As um, our listeners must know by now, (laughs) that the case was thrown out on prosecutorial misconduct and was reversed. So they are gonna take John back to trial and when you're preparing for trial, they have to turn over what we call discovery. So they have been the prosecutor's office and of course a different prosecutor. Anassigna Nicolazzi has retired and moved on to a different career. So the new prosecutors have been handing over everything to prepare for trial. And it was in there. There was a recording. There was a tape. And John's lawyer, uh, Mark Betterall, who is extremely thorough and picks through everything, listened to this recording, was stunned because it didn't fit the theory that Anna Sigum put before the jury. It was a complete different theory and totally exonerates John. I mean, we can only guess that they thought we already had it. But if we did, if the defense had it, then we would have used it. Or it was a mistake that uh, they turned it over.
3: Okay. So I guess you just kind of answered a question that I had that some people listening might have, which is why, why was it never brought up in the meantime? Why was it just found after Nicolazzi, uh left the, the case or retired? And if it was something that's so obvious, is that what you're saying? That it, it, it could have been looked at as something that was just overlooked by the defense? And maybe someone said, well, I wonder why they didn't use this, not thinking that it was sort of buried?
4: No, absolutely not. No, after, um, Sam Gregory, John's trial attorney, absolutely did not have this in his possession because he would have used it. And John's co-defendant, Antonio Russo, his lawyer, would have definitely uh, been aware of this tape. He said he never seen it and never heard it. It was not turned over.
0: Okay, and here is the tape we were talking about.
5: It is July 21st, 2005. We're at the Kings County District Attorney's Office. Uh, My name is Anna Siga Nicolazzi. I'm an assistant district attorney here in Brooklyn. Also present is Detective James McCafferty. And I'd like to speak with you about an incident that occurred and some conversations that you've had regarding the investigation to the death of Mark Fisher. Before we do, this, I'm going to tell you I'm a notary public qualified in the County of Suffolk. My number is 2 ni five zero six two one five four, commission expiring June twenty fourth, 2006. And I'd like to speak with you with the various conversations that you've had with specifically two individuals. I was going to ask that you everything you tell me is the truth. Do you understand that? Yes. Okay. To do that, please raise your right hand. Okay, and what is your name? Uh, Joseph Ingram. Okay. And uh, Mr. Ingram, do you swear that everything you're t- about to tell me is the truth?
2: Yes.
5: Okay. You can put your right hand down. When You said that then you started to talk about the actual case. Okay. And what did Russo tell you?
2: He told me that he left the party with the victim, I can not remember his name. Um, And he said he just had the intention of robbing him. And and he didn't have enough money, he had the intention of robbing him. He didn't have enough money on him, and he was going to take him to the ATM machine. And then he got into some kind of a fight, and he ended up shooting him. Um, Also discussed the weapon.
5: What was your discussion about the weapon, that you remember?
2: It ended up boiled down to that it was a 22 automatic. Um,
5: but you're saying it boiled down to? It, how did 22. you get to that? How did it start, if you remember?
2: It was an automatic.
5: He told you that?
2: Yeah. All right, and what else did he say? It was an automatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, what kind of automatic? Da, 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 da. And I believe he bullshitted me. Uh, he did initially with 9mm. He said it was like a 9mm. I said, well, how many times did you shoot him? Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, five. And now I know a little bit about guns, and I also know a little bit about shootings, and I also know a little about, about this sort of thing. And most 22 or 25 automatics carry five shots, the cheap ones. Mm-hmm. And maybe instead of the 22
5: did you confront him with that or are you yeah, saying that I confronted
2: him because I was confronting him about everything mm-hmm. and did he did he explain why
5: it. he first said it was a nine
2: or I didn't ask maybe he thought guys was nines okay. you know a 22 is not something maybe because the 22 maybe made they feel weaker or mm-hmm. whatever you know. mm-hmm. okay so I don't know
5: and did he tell you where he shot him or anything like that
2: um no. That I did not. I did not do that.
5: All right. And when you were talking to him about the, it being a 9 versus 22, and you're saying that you know a little bit about guns right. and about the 5, how did that come up? Why 5, that you knew because that it was 25. a 22 based on 5?
2: Because 9 millimeters carry 16 rounds normally. Over an extended clip, it can carry up to 30. Um,
5: no, no, I'm not asking about your knowledge about
2: the guns, but oh. you
5: said that you had said, "Well, if he shot five times, that that would make sense to you. That it would be a 22 or
2: 25." Did because, he tell you why he had any, shot
5: five times,
2: or no, no, he didn't? But because anybody that would shoot, the, the reason he, I guess he came down to admitting that it was a 22 is because I had said something along the uh, line where I know that if you guys were shooting, You shoot, one, shoot somebody, you shoot it one time, okay? If, if you're nervous, and you're going to empty your
5: club Did he tell you that he emptied the gun?
2: No, but I said, I said, why did you only shoot five times?
5: And what did he say to that? It
2: was empty. Okay.
5: And that's when you came down to it being a different mm-hmm. type of gun based on that, when you said, why'd you shoot five times, and he said it was empty why, only five times. Okay. Um, and what did he tell you happened? Did he tell you where he shot him?
2: No, I didn't ask that. All
5: right. And what did he tell you happened afterwards, after the scuffle that led him to shoot the guy?
2: After the scuffle. Russo, scu- I'm talking they about. They were they were, Russo. Mm-hmm. While they were fighting, he had, he ended up having to shoot him. I guess he was losing the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, or decided he didn't want to fight anymore. Um, and just shot him.
5: And then what happened? What did he tell you? What happened after that?
2: Then he went and made a phone call. Oh, he took his wallet. Mm-hmm. took his wallet. In um, the morning, I don't know what happened to the wallet. Um, he, took, he took the wallet went and called John's house and asked John if he could come over um, and then he just shot the kid in the leg
5: what about shooting a kid in the
2: leg he shot the only that he shot the kid in the leg who
5: did he tell that to
2: to John
5: during this phone conversation
2: right John let him come over or came over I don't know if John allowed, told him to come over or he just came over hmm um, and then when he got there so, see now I'm getting into two things because what John told me what he said
5: okay well again yeah, if it's something you're said. confused about say so you're not sure okay. but if well, it's what I'm
2: saying is he said the agent on the door mm-hmm. John said he be on the door okay okay um, John answered the door the um, kid asked him to Get rid of the weapon. And John
5: refused. Who's telling you that
2: now? Russo.
5: Okay. And then what did Russo tell you happened at, So he said that John refused to take the weapon. Right. And then what?
2: And then he left.
5: And did he tell you anything else or? No. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi listeners, I'm Vanessa Richardson, host of the podcast Serial Killers. Like many of you, I'm fascinated by the darker side of humanity. What causes someone to develop such deadly desires, and why they decide to act on them? For the past six years, I've been able to explore these curiosities weekly, tapping into the mental states of the world's most notorious killers, examining their backgrounds and habits, searching for answers. If you haven't had a chance to check out our show, there's truly no better time to dive in. With hundreds of episodes to binge and new ones released weekly, Serial Killers is the perfect podcast for any avid true crime fan. Follow Serial Killers on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check.
4: Step back and you look at her theory, you're able to tell that she did not turn this over.
0: Yeah, because she didn't use the information. She didn't ingest it as part of her case.
4: Uh, she went with a complete different theory. Yeah. She had said that Antonio Russo gave John the gun, and John called uh friend named Anthony uh, to come and retrieve the gun and get rid of it. This wouldn't have fit her theory. And if you really look look at it closely, she made the co-counsel Patricia McNeil's case even harder because Patricia McNeil was the prosecutor against Antonio Russo. So if she had this information, she would have used it against Antonio Russo. No? To get the conviction, she would have used it instead of going with a theory that Nicolazzi had. She made her own uh, co-counsel prosecutor's job much harder to get the conviction against Russo. If she had this, she would have definitely used it. The way I look at it is Nicolazzi wanted to win no matter what. And she was willing to cut the throat of her co-counsel, prosecutor of Antonio Russo.
0: So, what does this all mean now for John?
4: Well, we um, um well, most Federal submitted a motion before the judge who is deciding over the reversal the leave application it gets a little confusing yeah mark federal submitted a motion to amend the most the previous motion to include this newfound evidence and for it to be just decided upon because john didn't get a fair trial. they hid exculpatory evidence from uh, John and his defense. And John, and Betterow is asking that the indictment get thrown out. Right now, as we stand, the conviction is thrown out because of prosecutorial misconduct. Now, with this newfound evidence, he's asking for the indictment to be thrown out.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Because if this was out... Uh, on May first, when you had that bail hearing, I believe, or or a hearing, uh, if this was taken into account, he might John might be out right now, waiting trial,
3: right?
4: Absolutely. Wow. A- Absolutely.
3: Now, the content of this tape involves uh, Joseph Ingram. Who is Joseph Ingram in in relation to all of this? How did How did he? Who is- yeah, how did he meet um, Russo?
4: That's interesting also. Um he happened to be on a bus heading to Bellevue for blood work, Bellevue Hospital, and he meets Antonio Russo on the bus.
3: And this is a prison bus, right? From Rikers? Correct. Okay.
4: Correct. And he begins to brag about robbing and shooting Mark Fisher. And I'm not sure of all the details, but he does tell him that he shot him five times. He shot him with a nine, which recently the prosecutors sent detectives to prison where Antonio Russo was. And again, he confesses, that he did this and he did this alone, and he shot Mark Fisher with a nine ruger or luger. I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with guns. And the public was saying, Well, he didn't get the gun correct, so that makes him not credible. But back in 2005, he thought it was a nine, also, when the forensic. Experts claim it was a 22 that he was shot with. But on the tape, Joseph Ingram says he doesn't know what he's talking about because a 9 has 16 shots and a 22 has 5 shots. So I'm a gun guy and I know what I'm talking about. So even back then in 2003 when he murdered Mark Fisher he thought he was carrying a nine Luga or Ruger.
0: right he just didn't know as opposed to he's uh, making it up
3: right right and exactly and, and if I'm if I'm gathering the information correctly, ingram saying this and saying that he he thought that he was bullshitting him because he knows weapons and he knows shootings was it because russo said that he he shot him and and he ran out of bullets and he shot him five times and ran out of bullets and that's how he knew that it was a 22 because he ran out of bullets and he was going from the um, assumption that the gun was full and then empty and if he was going to unload a gun on him and it was a nine he probably would have shot him more than five times
4: correct absolutely correct so he was it, it's not that um, Russo was bullshitting; he was just unaware of the caliber of gun that he was carrying.
3: Yep. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't a seasoned gangster.
4: <laughs> right. Right. So, so most importantly, he ex- exonerates John from any wrongdoing, and this was very, very uh, valuable information for the defense. And it didn't fit Anna Sigonigolosi's theory that she was going to present to the jury, so she hid it. She didn't turn it over, and she went with a complete different theory.
3: Now, what is Russo in prison for? Murder. Of?
4: M- Mark Fisher.
3: And John's in prison for murdering Mark Fisher. Correct. And, um, and there's so been... So
4: murder. Um, Antonio Russo... I'm not sure of the exact charge, if it's murder one, murder two. Um, it could be felony murder, which I doubt. But I, I'm no expert on the the charges. But I know that John is in prison for felony murder. And Anna Nicolazzi claims that John gave Russo the gun. And she further went on to tell the jury that Russo returned to the house and gave John the gun and said, it's done. And then John called a friend named Anthony to get rid of the gun. When in fact, Joseph Ingram confession was the complete opposite. She hid that and John had a right to call Joseph Ingram Mm -hmm. to the stand and explain exactly what Russo confessed to him. And John was denied that material.
3: Did John have a history of any sort of actions like this in the past?
4: Never. Never once.
3: How well did he know Mark Fisher?
4: He met him that night.
3: Met him that night and then instructed another one of his uh, friends or accomplices, instructed an accomplice to, to go and rob him and murder him and then he brings a gun back and asks he asks him if it's done. I know all the answers to this, I just wanna get it out out of my head because I can't first I can't understand why two people are in prison for murdering the same person when there are so many counts, including from the person himself, that there was one person and, and that person acted alone. And I'm still confused why John is even in Rikers right now when there's nothing there.
4: There were so many scenarios that was presented to the jury. Uh, Nicolazzi told the jury that John was upset because Mark Fisher sat on the table. And then she said he was upset because uh, they liked the same girl, Mark Fisher and John. Meanwhile, this girl that Anna Siga Nicolazzi claims John liked, he just met her uh, an hour beforehand.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So, And John had a girlfriend, and the other theories was John was in a gang, and he wanted to up the credibility of his gang, so he needed to get a body, and there was another theory, there was four theories, I can't remember the other one, but they were getting more and more ridiculous.
2: Yeah.
0: How, how is John doing right now with uh, with this new news?
4: Well, he's very hopeful. He was a bit shocked. He said that you know there's hope. You know, we're afraid Lance and Tim was so scared because we've learned a lot and we've learned that prosecutors protect each other, judges have rulings that don't make any sense. And we are very hopeful. We are hanging on the law. The public knows exactly what happened. Evidence, exculpatory evidence that would exonerate John was hidden. And in that alone, John deserves a fair trial. If all this evidence is hidden, then... It makes you wonder, why did they hide it? You know, in the first place, we're supposed to have a fair trial. And that's what I've been begging for for 13 long years, a fair trial. If we had a fair trial, John would not be in prison. There is so many wrongful convictions. They hide evidence. How How is the playing field fair if they're hiding a favorable evidence from us? You know, they have All the money, all the government's money to hire investigators and experts when, in fact, we have to use our own money. We have to get two and three jobs just to pay the lawyers, to hire experts. The money always runs out. And then that means your loved one, your father or mother or sister or uncle or son, has to stay in prison because you don't have the money to fight back. They have a team of three, four hundred prosecutors. And what does the defendant have? Maybe a mother, maybe a father, maybe a a wife.
3: Which is all ironic because I thought the whole system was supposed to be geared towards defending your, you know, your innocence. You're, You're guilty. And I mean, whoops, that was a Freudian slip. You're innocent until proven guilty. Right. And. But it's, it's a joke. It is a joke uh, and and it's sort of like a rotten self-perpetuation of the system where I don't know where you, if you could pinpoint exactly when it started to happen, but there was a transition and a shift of power and money, and it just favored it favored the uh, the prosecution, uh, the judges, and mm-hmm. it did not favor the people of lower middle income who just eventually run out of money and energy.
4: Yeah, but then they'll argue with you. The judge will argue and say, we will give you a legal aid, and you don't have to spend a dime. But then that legal aid has a uh, mountain-high amount of cases, doesn't have unlimited funds to hire experts or investigators, does not. There is a budget, and it's not a very high budget. So really, the money isn't there and the legal aid is overwhelmed, it's it's not fair. It's not a fair playing field. So what does the defendants do? They cop out, they plead out to something that they didn't do because their chances are they are going to get convicted and end up in prison for the rest of their life for something that they didn't do. And then you wonder why there's 2.3 million people incarcerated. And prosecutors, they don't want a loss on their scorecard. They want to win, win, win. Because once they have that perfect record, they could go off to become a defense attorney or, you know, they excel from winning. They don't excel from losing.
3: Right. They could go off to have uh, their own TV show.
4: I know. Despicable. I know. You know, I'm unsure if this is true, but just today, I've gotten an email stating that Anissa Nicolazzi is still on the payroll over at the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office, making $127,000 a year, when in fact, she's now on a TV show called True Convictions, and she promotes herself as being the leading expert on Convictions. And she has a thirty five and zero perfect record.
3: The the Floyd the Floyd, and the Floyd still Mayweather on the of
4: payroll? I'm unsure if this information is true, but how could she I would love for somebody to investigate that. How could she possibly still be on the payroll as a no show? This is taxpayers
3: money. Yeah let us right. a put the call out for that one. Anyone yeah. who has any information on you know the how often something like that happens and if it is uh above the board or not, there's also a call out for uh Nicolazzi to give us a call you know to do to do uh, for her what was not done for John, you know at least we can extend uh, extend that branch and just see what uh, her side of the story is. I know that that's a completely asinine request, but hey, that's the American system.
4: You know what's killed me? Mark Betterall went before the CRU, the the integrity unit over at the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office, for help in getting John justice. They review cases to see if there was anything egregious and, you know, any mishaps. And they supposedly investigated thoroughly. And they had the opportunity to turn over this tape. This tape that totally exonerates John, and and we, I looked for them for help, and they also they they let us down, they let us down. Yeah, they had a fair opportunity to to give us that tape, and why did we receive the tape now? I believe that it was a discovery dump, they're dumping everything on Betterall. Figuring maybe he'll miss it or or maybe they're on the up and up. This whole new group is actually fair and and being honest. And they gave him everything.
3: Well, that would be nice. Yeah, that would be a refreshing change of pace for you and for John.
4: I have hope now. We have hope. You know, it's a roller coaster ride. We go up and down. Why they won't just throw their hands up and say, you know what? This doesn't fall on us this falls on her, this falls on Nikolazi, she did this, is beyond me. Or maybe, you know, maybe they still will. Maybe they they will just finally uh, throw in the towel and come to realize that she's not so perfect.
3: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, Joseph Ingram died about a year after, in 2006, but... Hopefully that doesn't uh, you know, impede any progress with any uh, future rulings in John's case.
4: From my experience with other cases, when someone confesses, gives a statement, um, recants, and it's not favorable to the prosecution, they go after them and they threaten them with something to recant their recantation or else. Or have some sort of leverage over them like, okay, you're going to prison for 10 years for DWI or something to that effect. Yeah. They can't go after him now. He said what he said. It exonerates John. It implicates Russo. And they can't go and twist his arm to say something else. It's written in stone what he said. And it's favorable to John.
0: Well, that's a good uh, a good thing. Has there been a date set for trial yet?
4: We have a hearing on June 28th, but not the trial. That's what's going on now. We're preparing for trial. That's why Mark Bedarol has been requesting discovery so that he could better prepare for trial. And that's when this was uncovered.
0: Is there a chance John gets out on bail after that hearing on June 28th? Yes. Oh, wow.
4: Yes. Yes. Uh, We have our fingers and toes crossed that he does give him bail. But I'll go even further than that. Uh, I got my fingers and toes crossed that the judge will just throw this out, uh, throw out the indictment and let John come home.
3: We have our fingers and... toes crossed here as well because it just feels like with this journey that you're on this roller coaster it's one thing after another and i i don't know after hearing this tape i'm not sure what the excuse would be to not let him go so okay. so you know all the all the best and all the uh not not best of luck because you don't need luck anymore but you know it's, uh, all the positive thoughts that we have here are going, going your way and John's way. Just don't know what else can possibly come out that'll not convince a judge to say, this is ridiculous. You 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 can't be incarcerated anymore.
4: Well, I could tell you. Nicolazzi, Anna Nicolazzi was a prosecutor for 20 years. And she made a lot of friends, especially with judges. And nobody wants to expose a... Colleague, if you want to call her a colleague that you know for 20 years, they all go to the same parties, all the same events, and they mingle. The judges aren't mingling with the defendants, they don't know them. They are just, it's just a face they see once in a while. They are mingling with the lawyers and their families. So it's difficult for. Judges who, most of the time, were prosecutors themselves. This is a this is very very damaging for Anastasia Nicolazzi. She's opening up herself to a lawsuit. Her reputation is totally ruined, and prosecutors and judges protect each other. So you said we don't know what they could possibly come up with. I've heard in the past the most ridiculous decisions you've ever heard. And the people are stunned. The reporters, journalists are stunned. And then they just move on to the next case. And the defendant remains in jail for the rest of his life because of two minutes of the public being stunned. This is what happens over and over again. Laws are not changed. There are thousands of people behind bars wrongfully. You say that we're lucky because we found X, Y, and Z. I don't feel lucky. I feel vulnerable. I feel desperate. I feel I'm so sad. John did almost 14 years in prison. We're not lucky. And if anything comes out of this, I want the public to know that this can really truly happen to you and your children. There was a whole trial, a dollars $200,000 of the government's money spent on this trial on zero evidence, zero evidence. They say that you can indict a ham sandwich, you can convict someone on absolutely no evidence. It was on testimony only. He said, she said, everything was contradictory and lies. So I I want the public to know that they should be scared and not just stunned for five minutes. We need to do something about it. We need to vote. We need to protest and we need to show up June 28th. Let's take a stand. Let's not let them continue to take all the children
0: and these people the prosecutors need to be held accountable for these kind of errors this is absolutely egregious and uh doreen uh we love you thank you very much for joining us again here on crawlspace um we are following this closely and if we can we
3: will be there on june 28th and hopefully you and john are the ones to break this mold that you just talked about that people need to take a stand, and maybe this is the moment where we have a good, good couple of uh, representatives for the for the movement in question.
4: <laughs> June twenty eighth, three twenty J Street in Brooklyn, at nine forty five a.m. Thank you. <laughs>